Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Do take a seat, folks. Did just want to leave that hanging in there, just so lovely. That, that was just um, fantastic uh, singing, and it's great to be led by the choir this morning. So many thanks to them for their practice during this week. And let me say, uh, as well as good morning, say happy Easter to you. This is a big day, is it not? Um, it's a really big day in our calendar um, still as a culture, but particularly as a church. But how does it stack up? with some other big days in recent, well, more recent history. Like, what about the Men's Football World Cup back in 2018? How big was that? Or what about Harry and Meghan's royal wedding in the same year? Or what about Apple's online launch of the new iPhone, iPhone 13, I think it is now, uh, back last, I think, November it was? Or going a bit further back? Barack Obama, now that was big. His inauguration, 2009. Which do you think was the biggest? Here's what we need to do, okay? You're a bit spread out, but we need to gather in groups. Just, you know, get with another household. And uh, if you don't know one another, just introduce yourself. Great opportunity to say hi. Welcome one another to church. Um, and then what I want you to do is put these four events in order of worldwide viewing figures. That's your challenge. Off you go. You too. Looks okay. I'm going to... Five, four, decide now. Three, two, one. Okay. Who's, who's feeling confident? Feeling, they, they, the choir didn't seem to be too confident when I check, checked on them a moment ago. Okay. I'll put you out of your misery. Right. In fourth place, we've got Apple's online launch of the new iPhone 13. It was the least watched with 2.2 million views online. Then in third... We got President Obama, his inauguration. It was uh, 37.8 million watched online. Then drum roll, please. This is a crucial moment. It's the 2018 Men's World Cup final, 1.1 billion at the height of the viewing figures, which means Meghan and Harry take top spot for their wedding with an estimated 1.9 billion viewers watching worldwide. Okay, who got them in the right order? Anybody actually get, get them all in the right order? Did someone do it? Oh, yeah, Colin Sally at the top. Here's, here's your prize, Colin Sally. Okay, you get the 
undying admiration of everybody here, okay? I know you probably would have run out chocolate, but I haven't got any, sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, even a little ripple of a round of applause. Um, okay, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to grab a Bible, okay? And look back at that Bible reading we had from page 853 in the Bibles. 853, Mark 16, verses one to eight. If you're new to Christianity, uh, you might not know that this is a reliable historical account of what happened after Jesus was crucified and he was certified dead on a cross. That happened on the Friday. The next day was a Saturday, which is the word, which is, uh, um, that's the Sabbath in verse one. And then came the event that we celebrate today when he rose from the grave. So in your same group, what I want you to do, look at Mark 16 and calculate the viewing figures for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See if you can get these four things that we're going to put up on the screen in the right order. The number of witnesses to the empty tomb, the number of times they were alarmed and distressed, the number of angels that were on hand to impress and wow the crowds, and the number of people who actually visibly saw the resurrection. Right, go on, another minute on that one, go. Maybe give you slightly longer on this. We could probably spend quite a long, long time on that, okay? And I'm just talking to a few people. Maybe that was a wee bit harder a task I've set you than I, than I thought it was, and I've spent a fair bit more time looking at it this, this week. But don't, don't, don't worry. There's going to be no prizes, no rounds of applause here. No, there's still no chocolate um, for, for this. Uh, what, what, what did you spot, though? Um, number of witnesses to the empty tomb. It's, what is it? Three. It's just, just three women, isn't it? Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James and Salome, um, uh, they're, they're the first witnesses to the empty tomb, just these three. And they're not the kind of dignitaries who would have got invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding or, or Obama's inauguration, are they? One of them, until fairly recently, had been demon-possessed. And the other two, well, they were basically most famous for who the sons were. I mean, maybe as, as a mum, you, you, you know, you feel like that sometimes. Uh, but the, the, these two women were the mums of a few of Jesus' disciples. And what about the number of times they get distressed and alarmed? Well, it happens a couple of times, doesn't it? At least twice, in verses 5 and in verse 8. These women are not super spiritual superheroes. Uh, this is not a moment of glorious triumph and understanding for them. You, you might think, oh gosh, if only I was there, I would have been like, yeah, oh wow, gosh, I get it now. No, they react just like any ordinary person would to what they're experiencing. <laughs> they say nothing and run away. Maybe they're kind of like an early Me Too movement. They know they won't be believed. And what about the number of angels on hand to impress the crowds? <laughs> it's just one. It's not impressive at all, really. I, I know verse 5 doesn't say uh, that he's an angel. But the other gospels say that the young man dressed in a white robe is indeed one of the heavenly hosts, which is probably why the women you know, take such fright at him when they first see him. <laughs> but it's, it's hardly the splendor and grandeur and fireworks of a World Cup final. What about the number of people who actually saw the resurrection happen? Zero. The women arrived too late to see it. No, in the darkness of the tomb, when no one was watching, 
In the stillness and silence, the crucified Nazarene rose to life. There it is. There's barely a whisper. And yet there, that is the embryo of true hope for our world. And no one even saw it. Now, don't worry, we know who Jesus rose from the dead because although the authorities hunted high and low to try and find his body and put, to, put an end to the rumors of a, a resurrection having happened, they couldn't find the body <laughs> because the body wasn't there. The body was alive again and wandering around the countryside, appearing to crowds of, well, up to 500. But this is the sentence I most want you to remember today. God does the most extraordinary things in the most ordinary of ways. Over and over again in the Bible, that's how God works. He does extraordinary things in just very ordinary and low-key and down-to-earth ways. We live in a culture of hype, don't we? Hype is all around us. There are whole industries devoted to hype, which takes something fairly ordinary and, and, and try and big it up and make it look more impressive than it actually is. And so we've got TV shows that are must-watch and gadgets and devices that are must-have and events that are unmissable, news headlines that are sensationalist at best, misleading clickbait at worst, and even the most commonplace sporting events these days are historic. You see, read that in an article most days. Yet the most significant event in all of human history, when the God who flung stars into space and created the universe and became flesh and walked among us and was crucified for, for claiming to be who he actually was and then was laid dead in a tomb. When he rose from the grave to new life, do you see the difference in Mark 16? God does not engage in hype. Jesus is not interested in riding the wave of popular opinion. So often the Gospels, actually, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've read the Gospels, but, but when Jesus performs the most amazing miracle, what does he say to the people present? He often does this. Shh, don't tell anyone. Why? Why does Jesus do that? Because what God is doing in the world is not something that's frothy and fake that he needs to, needs to big up, that's here today and gone tomorrow. No, he's doing something, he's creating something that is solid and real and eternally satisfying. And so everything seems just so ordinary here in Mark 16, doesn't it? There's just no hype. I want you to know this. This is phenomenally exciting and encouraging if you can get it. God deliberately chooses again and again in the Bible to reveal his extraordinary reality to people like you and me who are just so ordinary. People who are full of weakness and fear and failing. <laughs> I find that so encouraging to realize because sometimes we beat ourselves up, don't we? Sometimes we feel we're just too ordinary to be used by Jesus. 
We believe the hype, we fall for the lie that it's, that it's only the super intelligent and charismatic and interesting and beautiful and skillful people. It's only people like that that Jesus can use. That is patently not true. Ordinary people with ordinary reactions, with all of our fear and bewilderment and foolishness, always stumbling and misunderstanding, Jesus can use us even in the midst of that. And maybe, as we look around our dark world and wonder, what on earth is God doing? So much hopelessness and despair. Could it be that like here in Mark 16, God is doing way, way, way more than our puny eyes can see? Do not despise the unseen and the ordinary. Don't believe the hype. And can I just say, if at some point you find yourself going to a church where everybody and everything that they do is just extraordinary, you need to leave it. Even if it's this church. And go to a church that is full of ordinary people doing ordinary things in God's power and strength. Emotion and joy, of course, they are great things. They're good things, but not hype. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure, treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God takes his treasure and he puts it in very ordinary clay pots. He takes what is extraordinary and puts it in ordinary places. And that's the way God works. But don't mistake it. For all the ordinary stuff that is happening here in Mark 16, God is up to something extraordinary, isn't he? So go back and look again at at verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. Ah, now, if you've not been around the last uh, few weeks, sorry, but if you have been, you might be going, oh, Jesus' body anointed. Where, where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, of course. Jesus' body has already been anointed. We looked at this two weeks ago, and actually, if you flick about one page in your Bible to Mark 14, you would see there that there was this woman who came, and she had this big jar of spiced perfume, of ointment, and she smashed it and poured it all over Jesus' head. And Jesus said to her, you have anointed my body for burial. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because he knew that these women in Mark 16 weren't going to get there in time. <laughs> and suddenly we see that in the ordinariness of what these women are doing, something extraordinary is going on. And then in verse 2, we read very early on the first day of the week. Why, why does Mark think we need to know that, that it's the first day? It's really early. It's a brand new day. Because the first day of anything means it's a new beginning for God is doing something brand new here. 
that establishes a whole new world and a whole new way of viewing the world. I got a new notebook yesterday. This is my brand new shiny notebook. I did, there's something very satisfying about cracking open a new notebook, isn't there? I don't know, is any, anyone else with me? Do you find real pleasure in doing this in this brand spanking new and perfectly clean? And You're almost nerv- nervous just to put a, put a you know, put pen to it. It's just so special and precious. I, I don't think there's any creature or, or animal that, 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 that sits around in this world you know, that, that does this and goes, oh, oh, it's new, how exciting. No, no, they couldn't care less. But we do. Don't we? Because we were designed by God for resurrection, for the new day. And every time you open a, a new notebook or, or a new gadget or tech, piece of tech, if that's the thing that kind of excites you, excites you or you put on some new clothes or, or you open a gift, there's something inside of you that goes, yes, this is so exciting. This is what I was created for. There's... No evolutionary advantage is there in me having a new notebook. I will not be stronger and fitter because of it. No, it makes no difference. But if you were created for resurrection, and there is a day coming when God will say, I am making all things new, suddenly you understand why the newness, the first day of the weakness really matters. There's something extraordinary going on here. God is establishing his new creation right here in this moment through the resurrection. And so here they are, these women. They're on the way to the tomb. And they ask each other. It's again, it's so human, isn't it? It's like, oh, goodness, we've forgotten the keys. Who's going to open the tomb for us? Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. What is this stone? And okay, well, it's not that stone, is it? But, 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 but what does it represent? It is this great symbol of the unavoidable nature of death, which seals us in, holds us captive, keeps us in the darkness, and cannot be moved. That is what death does to us. And the stone that was rolled over the mouth of the tomb, it shut Jesus in to our eyes forever. And yet, when these women get to the stone, so what do they find? It's been rolled away. Death has been rolled back. It's extraordinary. Death is being reversed. I don't know if any of you can remember the, the good old days of video players. If you can, then you are very old indeed, like me. Uh, before uh, DVD players, before Netflix, before Disney+, Plus, iPlayer, all, all of that, I actually found a video cassette tape in my office the other day that shows that these did actually happen. They, re- they really existed. In fact, it's, it's about line dancing, and it's called boot scootin'. I do not know for the life of me how I ever came to have this in my possession. I'm sure someone must have given it to me as a joke. <laughs> but it reminded me of one of the great things about videos, which is that you could, you could put them in the machine, and then you could watch it being rewound. I just thought this was hilarious, just, just, just watching the film in reverse uh, as it went back. Am I the only one who did this? Or maybe it's just me. Um, but it was great. But here, here we've been told this Easter Sunday morning 
this video is going backwards. Death is being reversed. The stone is being rolled away. Because of Jesus, it is possible for death to be turned around. And I know that that's a very raw and real issue for some of us here this morning. So take heart. If we put our trust in Jesus, there is great hope. Then in verse 6, this young man delivers his message. Do not be alarmed by death or anything else. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. It's a world-changing message. This man was dead and he's now alive again. And I have to say, at times of the, well, this time of year, you often come across, I don't know if you noticed this, things in newspapers or, or online surveys about how many people believe in the resurrection, and they vary wildly, um, 44%, 32%, whatever percent of Britons believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Who cares? We don't decide history by popular opinion, do we? Since when did we have a vote on whether things are true or not? No, don't believe the hype that is out there. History is not based on the views of the majority opinion, but on whether it actually happened. And so the angel in verse 7 encourages the women to follow the breadcrumb trail, the evidence trail, as he says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. That's a lovely touch. And Peter the failure. That is that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And in those words, just as he told you, everything, everything Jesus said is proved true. Here's how it works, I think. If I was to say to you, I can jump two feet in the air, and I was also to say to you, I can fly to the top of the Angel of the North. I think you'd look at me rather skeptically, wouldn't you? And so if I was to say, okay, fine, I'll prove it to you. And I was to jump two feet in the air. I'm not entirely sure if that was two feet or not. But just, just, just go with me on that. That's about as good as it gets these days. And then I say, okay, go on. There you go. Now do you believe me that I can fly to the top of the Angel of the North? You'd go, no, of course not. You haven't proved anything. But I, if I was to go outside and just fly to the top of the Angel of the North and stand there at the top and go, hey, there you go. Now, do you believe me about the two foot? You'd go, of course, of course. You flew to the top of the Angel of the North. That's amazing. And if Jesus says, I'm going to rise from the dead, and then he actually does it, he's flown to the top of the Angel of the North. He's done the most difficult thing. He's done the thing that proves everything else just as he told you. The resurrection proves that everything Jesus said is true. So the next time you're reading something in the Bible and you go, oh God, I, I, I can't believe that. Why not? If he rose from the dead like he said he would, you can trust him with everything else. It's extraordinary. So much so that as I was, as I was preparing this, I, I got to this point and I go, okay, right. This is just 
amazing. I've, I've got to find a real killer ending. <laughs> I've got to find just the most amazing way of landing this so that everyone will just go, wow. <laughs> How stupid is that, eh? <laughs> That's me falling into the trap of the hype. I want to hype this up when we're talking about the resurrection. It doesn't need hype. And so this morning, I just want to commend Jesus to you as the most extraordinary Savior King. The only hope we have who rose in the most ordinary of ways. And I want us to see that that's how God works today. So if we turn to him and we trust in him and live in him, he then takes us and transforms us, ordinary, unspectacular nobodies, so that by his spirit, we can change the world. So let me pray for us before we celebrate that as we sing again. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that those women at the tomb did not stay silent for long so that we have witness to the reality of Jesus' resurrection today. We thank you for this great good news that death has been rolled back, that because Jesus rose, we can have hope and confidence for the new, this new kingdom that you are establishing and bringing about. And we ask that as we sing and praise you today for who you are and for what you've done, we would know the extraordinary power of Jesus' resurrection, even in the ordinariness of our day-to-day lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.